Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies for career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and excited to have you join me for another great conversation. Before we dive into today's episode, let me take a moment to introduce myself. I'm a nonprofit consultant, keynote speaker, author of the book, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, and the creator of a virtual mastermind leadership development program. If you're looking to enhance your leadership skills in this sector and make a greater impact, check out the mastermind page on our website, patentmcdowell.com, for more information. Well, I had a great conversation in this episode with Mandy Pierce, who's a consultant and coach to nonprofit organizations and their leaders across the country. And we'll be delving into the importance of succession planning for nonprofit leaders. Let's face it. Most of you don't have a good succession plan at your nonprofit, and Mandy is here to help. We discuss the challenges you may be facing when planning for succession and how to overcome them, and the best practices for actually developing a succession plan that aligns with your organization's mission and goals. Succession planning is a critical aspect of nonprofit leadership, and Mandy's expertise will provide you with the insight you need as you seek to build a sustainable future for your nonprofit. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 222. Just go to the podcast page at patentmcdowell.com and you'll find out more about Mandy and the great work she's doing through her firm called Funding for Good. While you're on our site, you might want to learn more about the Mastermind Program. Again, we've got a few spots left in the upcoming fall 2023 cohort and are also taking applications for the spring of 2024. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Mandy Pierce. Mandy, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you for having me, Patton. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm excited about this conversation. You're doing some fantastic work in the nonprofit world, particularly around strategic planning. And in fact, you're raising the right question or questions around something that I think our listeners have thought about, which is succession planning. And I'm guessing many of Mandy are like, yeah, 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 I know I need to do that. But the fact is, most nonprofits don't have one. Why don't you think more nonprofits have a succession plan? The things that we have seen over the past couple of years, especially since the pandemic, is a yes, it's a, it's becoming a conversation piece and people are acknowledging that it should be a priority. But as we know, in the nonprofit sector, there's always a fire to put out. And this is one of those things that gets pushed to the bottom of the list and other things take priority, like we need a new board member because so-and-so rolled off or we need to hire somebody because so-and-so left or somebody's retiring and all those things become the priority and the planning piece takes a back seat. And it's only with either organizations who are really intentional about getting their foundational pieces in place and have board members and leadership in the nonprofit that are driving it that we see succession planning occur regularly and stay front of mind, or when a very unexpected, be it friendly or be it hostile transition occurs, that people realize, oh my gosh, we can't go through this again. And then they make it a priority. So unfortunately, it's sort of like, writing a will until they realize, (laughs) well, maybe I should have, or maybe my whoever should have. Yes. Sadly, tragedy uh, reminds people uh, when they don't have the wills or someone in their family. And 
you're right. We don't want tragedy at the nonprofit level to occur to remind the organization that they need a succession plan. I guess, Mandy, when you talk about succession planning, it, it starts, I guess, with the the executive director or or how do you define a good succession plan in terms of what it needs to cover? Well, it's really, a, if you sat down and thought, what would happen if fill in the blank yep. wasn't here tomorrow? And that person or position, not person really, position could be any position. Some organizations don't yet have an executive director. So for them, their working board would be critical if a few of the key players on that board were unavailable to run the organization tomorrow and there's no succession plan for who would take over their roles, that's critical. For some organizations, they are 100% volunteer-led outside of the board. They don't have paid staff yet. So maybe there is a volunteer leader, volunteer coordinator, or a volunteer that would be vital. For some organizations, you're right, it is the executive director, a development director, a program director, or maybe a board chair, someone like that. And so it's really sitting down and having that initial conversation to identify who are the critical roles that we need to work on succession planning for now? And what is their order of importance? Like we have to do this one first. This one is important, but it can wait till second. This one definitely needs to be on the list, but you know, it can sort of be like a yellow light. We'll get to it. Right. And so we know it's there. And, and so we do exercises with organizations, sort of a red light, yellow light, green light kind of thing. Right. Like, this one is important. We should stop and do it right now. This one is going to come up next. And then this one, I mean, it, it can happen. It just doesn't need to happen today. And talk through because succession planning isn't just for one person, right? Yes. And you, you can't do them all at once. It's like sitting down and saying, oh, I need to read these five classic novels. I should do them all today. That's not happening. Um, but once you understand the process for succession planning, you can then do one, pick it up, do the next one. Maybe you're creating committees. Maybe you have departments that are working on them. And um, and, and then it is doable and manageable. Yeah, I love this. And Mandy, I knew you would bring the tactical detail to this conversation that, frankly, our listeners want. Um, these concepts like succession planning, as you noted, often are backburnered and, and we need to bring, bring them to the front burner uh, because there's too much good work going on at nonprofit organizations to have it take um, you know, a detour because of an expected or unexpected transition in leadership. So thank you for that. And we're going to unpack it because I got lots of questions for you <laughs> and grateful for your answers. But first, let's talk about your journey. You know, what what led you? Clearly, you have a passion for nonprofit work and nonprofit leaders. But what brought you to the consulting work you do now? Well, what brought me to the consulting work is that I got tired of working for other people. Um, <laughs> that's about as honest as I can get on that one. Um, and I have always run my own businesses. I've always had side hustles, even since I was 15. I taught tennis, private tennis lessons. I was an aerobics instructor at the community college. I taught swimming lessons to kids and families in our community and all kinds of stuff. I, I always, always just loved running a business. My mom, I grew up with my mom running a business from our house and, and helping her and watching her do that. And so I guess I've just always been pointed in this direction. It just took a exceptionally um, unproductive work environment 
to get me to the place where I was like, oh, yep, I'm doing this. And so I, I planned it for three or four years, had the side hustle, and then went full time with it um, when the time was right. Uh, you, you touch on something that perhaps their listeners thinking about it or feeling it that you were in nonprofit leadership or a nonprofit community. What were some of the challenges you saw? It sounds like they literally inspired you to, hey, I need to help others avoid sure. maybe some of the pain yeah. I'm feeling. Is that fair? Yeah. A couple of the things that I noticed. So one of my biggest, uh, one of the things you'll hear me say the most often, if you ever hear me speak or work with a group, or if you've read any of our content, nonprofit is your tax status, not your business model. And nonprofits are businesses. They contribute to the economy. They generate revenue. They pay salaries. They, uh, they're businesses. And while they have a nonprofit status, that doesn't mean they can't generate income and revenue and make money. And I, I got very frustrated with the constant mindset that I want to create this thing and people are going to give me money to do it because it's a nonprofit and that there was no business plan. There was no thought and strategy behind how is this going to become successful and generate revenue and provide services because it is a service focused business, but it's still a business. Right. And so that mindset was very frustrating to me. And the other thing that was always frustrating to me was you can sit down and have, I literally just went through this with someone this past week, organization we're working with, struggling with a board member who is dominant and doesn't want to let the ED participate in their role as ED, wants to make right. all decisions, very dogmatic and shouldn't be in his role but there are a lot of a lot of things haven't been set up correctly in the organization they don't they don't know where their bylaws are they don't know who his successor would be they don't have a um, assistant vice chair for the board no one else wants to step up in the role so we literally spent an hour and a half four people at lunch trying to strategize how to go about getting this person to exit their role mm. And for me, that is such a waste of time. We basically spent six hours, right? An hour yes, and a half of each yes, person. We right. wasted everybody's time trying to figure out how to circumnavigate this process because the nonprofit world isn't very black and white when it comes to board governance and, and how they work and who can tell them what to do and all these different things. Or I mean, it is, but it doesn't always work that way. And so just the, the lack of, productivity that can occur and the constant need to redo everything. We have a board and we've trained them and then they roll off. We have to train new ones. We start over again. Everybody comes in with a different personality, different expectations, different, and the, and the organization changes and staff leave. And then we have to spend the time retraining them. I mean, development staff have a, a life expectancy at the moment of 14 to 16 months. Yeah. Who wants to retrain that every 14 to 16 months? It makes it impossible to grow and for the organization to build sustainability in a community. And so those pieces are, are some of the reasons why I wanted to get into consulting to help organizations get over some of those humps, put in some foundational pieces. And while it doesn't solve the problems, giving people the tools they need to be able to move forward more quickly is, is part of our mission. Yeah, you're spot on, Mandy. And again, you describe the symptoms. I bet listeners right now are shaking their head in agreement. The the issues of continuity or lack of continuity, 
and and you have seen them and, and I guess I know there's no easy answer, but when you're working with organizations, are are you helping them put in just better kind of documentation or infrastructure so that we're not wasting time like you described or losing momentum because of turnover? How do you kind of attack that problem when you see it? So we really work from a strategic planning conversation initially because most organizations don't have that either. Um, And the ones that do don't have one that is a real working document that guides them to where they're going. And it doesn't list specific goals and objectives and how they're going to achieve them. It doesn't have that implementation plan going with it. And so what we what we believe and what we see to be true is if an executive director has a well-written strategic plan, three we we do three years, but three to five years is reasonable. Right. Um, as long as it is a consensus-based process and the board, the staff are on the same page and have agreed to, this is what we want to do. This is how we want to do it. And this is where we want to be in one, two, three, five years. Then it is much easier to move forward when someone comes up as a new board member. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is a great idea. We should do this thing. Yep. And everybody has a reason to say, oh, that is a great idea. Unfortunately, it's not in our current strategic plan, but we can definitely put it in the parking lot to discuss for our next strategic planning session. Or it doesn't currently align with our strategic planning goals. Like it's not the direction we're currently going, but we can definitely have that conversation That way it gives you an ability to say no, because that is one of the things that is so hard. A board with no strategic plan will come up with new ideas every month, every six months. And it's impossible for an executive director to move forward and make progress when there's that kind of change and thought process happening. So if you spend the time and invest in the planning process initially, then you have a roadmap and everybody's on the same page. And yeah. you, you use it as a tool. So Love that's that. kind of how we start that conversation. Well, and sorry to interrupt you, because but it's fantastic. And again, you, you're threading this theme of our conversation, this episode around succession planning as in some cases a vague concept. But no, this is about continuity and, and strategic planning, which you're activating with organizations that often don't have it. In fact, for, I'm glad this episode will allow our listeners to get to know you, Mandy, and Funding for Good. Talk about that what your firm does, clearly strategic planning, the title suggests fundraising as well as part right. of your <laughs> repertoire. But yeah, what what is the kind of work you do? What does your ideal nonprofit partner look like? Sure. Well, we started out many moons ago as a grant writing company. That's all we did was everything grant writing. And the first company name we had was Grant Cruise. So it was consultation, research, education, and writing services. Right. And then when we formally established as a company, we decided, you know, we've been doing a lot of other things. We do development planning. We do fundraising planning. We do budgeting. We do education. We do board development, leadership development, and all these other things. So we moved the name to Funding for Good because we wanted people to be funded, not only for the good work they do, but in perpetuity. So unfortunately for me, I didn't know it at the time. A lot of people around the world think we're a foundation and ask us for money without actually visiting the website. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Things you learn. Um, but we do a lot of strategic planning, leadership development. I do a lot of coaching. I work with people to set up and grow their development departments or hire a development director and onboard them, training development staff. And then we have another side of the business um, where we work with nonprofit consultants. 
just like you and me, to start and grow consulting businesses. So those are really the the two focuses we have. Um, you know, within strategic planning, often will come. We need succession planning. We need an right. executive search. Right. We need to write a development plan. We need support with our budget. We need all these things, which we step in and support with where we're asked to. Um, but that's those are the big things we do. We work with um, a foundation in North Carolina that refers us to organizations that need uh, capacity building work. And so we do that with those folks around the state and we do similar work around the country. Now we do just focus on us based nonprofits, Okay. they're doing work in other countries, but there have to be, there has to be a us base to it because we are not experts at every country around the world and how fundraising happens there. And right. Be that expert. So <laughs> <laughs> someday maybe, right, Mandy, but maybe not yeah. at not now. current. Well, and again, I was aware that you're working across the country and you're working with all types of nonprofits. These concepts certainly apply. Or do you find you gravitate more to certain types of sectors? In other words, human services or healthcare or no. arts and culture? Or what do you think? Nope. We um, not only have my business um, associate Marie and I been in the nonprofit sector in all types of work, but we work in all types of fields. We, everything from healthcare and education to the arts and human services and very specific like environmental organizations, archaeology organizations. I mean, there's I can't imagine there is an organization that exists that I'm like, oh, we we can't work with you because right. for us, now, if you came to me and said, I need you to consult my executive director on something that was very specific to astrophysics, then probably no, I'm not your girl. But um, most of the concepts that we are working with are not organization specific. Yeah, I mean, a strategic right. plan is a facilitator guides you through a conversation to get you to a certain point. The facilitator isn't giving you the answers and they shouldn't be. They are facilitating the conversation and you as an organization have the experts in the room to answer those questions, right? What can we do? How can we do it? Where should we do it? Who should our partners be? Those aren't questions that an outside facilitator is going to come in and answer for you. Um, so, no, we we don't work in one particular sector as long as you're a nonprofit. And we actually for small businesses as well. So um, these we concepts work, apply, yeah. don't yeah. they? Right. Yes. We don't work with mega corporations, if you will. Right. Um, but we work with small businesses to do the same kind of work because we're small businesses and, and we're doing our own planning and growing a, a small business is very similar to starting a nonprofit. You just don't have to deal with 12 bosses with a board, um, <laughs> right? It's actually yeah. a little easier sometimes. Exactly. Well, all right, let me go back into your expertise on the succession plan in particular, some tactical questions um, in terms of what exactly a succession plan looks like. And you alluded to this, and I wonder if there are two variations. There's the emergency, uh-oh, something happened dramatic, um, you know, quite honestly, a, a passing of a leader or firing. Um, is there kind of an emergency plan uh, in terms of a succession plan, or is there kind of a broader, more strategic, long version? What exactly does a succession plan look like? So a succession plan is sort of, um, there's there are four different kinds of transitions that can happen. You can have friendly expected, you can have friendly unexpected, you can have hostile expected, and hostile unexpected. And the plan 
is the plan no matter what. Right. But there are some special considerations if it becomes hostile or unexpected, right? If it's unexpected and it's going to be short term, like it could be unexpected and you could still give somebody two, two to six months notice, right? Right, right. And then you're still following your succession plan. Really, it's when it becomes hostile, even if it's expected. When it becomes hostile and imminent, then there are aspects of the succession plan that just happen more quickly. You might have to include multiple people in those conversations as opposed to just the employee and HR doing an exit interview. Right. You might have, you know, there's some legal factors that might come in that wouldn't otherwise be a concern. You might have to more quickly get in and change someone's login and password or restrict access to a building or ask for their files or something like that. There are aspects of a hostile transition that should be considered no matter what, but they wouldn't need to be used unless the situation became hostile. So you're still planning for all of those aspects. And anytime there is a hostile transition, you have to know what is the process. If it's executive director, who do the staff report to? That's right. Who steps in in the interim? Well, that's not going to change. Those answers are going to be the same. And this is the other piece of strategic planning, or I'm sorry, succession planning, that I want everyone to hear me say. In succession planning, you are planning for the replacement of a position, not a person. You cannot replace people. Everybody is going to be a unicorn in their own way. Everybody is going to have very specific traits, personalities, things they do that are above and beyond their job description that that don't even come up in the job description. You know, Kate brings in cupcakes that she makes every Friday, blah, blah, blah. That's not part of the job description, but you're also not going to replace that. So you're replacing a position, not a person. That is very important when you start the conversation because one of the very first things we do with folks is say, what do we know to be true and um, relevant about this position? What do we know today to be current and relevant about this position. And it's not stuff like Kate brings in cupcakes every Friday because that's not the position. That's the person. Right. It could be that as this position, she is responsible for unlocking the doors every morning by 745. That's a position thing. She's the person doing it, but it will also be the next person in that position doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great point. And, 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 and it strikes me as valuable because you're being very intentional, right, of asking those questions. Because I think, again, I think for the most part, organizations just don't really deep dive as you are. I love your four quadrants of, in essence, breaking down. It's not just succession, but they're different scenarios. There could be four of them. Um, as you said, there's a consistency in terms of your action, but the context could be very different, right? And right. In fact, I was going to ask you, Mandy, because where I've seen problems occur, um, and and clearly uh, organization did not have it spelled out, either the wrong people are speaking, like to the media or communicating, you know, into their communities, or they don't say anything, mm-hmm. and so the community is. So I wonder, have you seen? I mean, I guess that's evidence, right, of lack of a succession plan. A a transition gets worse yes, because they hadn't thought about what they're going to do. Well, and so that's part of the media and communications section of a succession plan. It's what's going to be said, who's going to say it, who is going to be the liaison to the community, what is being said internally and who has delivered that message. Um, Because, like, we have a client who has been in the middle of a 
very contentious legal battle right. over the exit of a staff person. And their legal counsel has advised them not to say anything mm. at all. Like no comment has been their answer until they have something from court that's a decision that then they can craft a press release around, right? right. So they had a press release that was very general. This is where the organization is. We're in the we're in a state of transition at the moment. Yep. We will update you when we have additional information on our next steps or something like that. And you know, so they have been advised who should all the questions be directed to. And it's a board person, whether it's an immediate inquiry, just a general donor question, someone from the, the staff, another board member, they all go to this one person and that one person delivers the same message. Um, so it becomes very important. Now, I'll give you an example from here locally. There was a, a very positive transition happened with one of our local hospitals. The CEO was retiring, announced a year ahead of time. Right. And the hospital, you know, kept the community in the loop about the entire process. Hiring down to a couple of candidates. We've decided on a candidate. This is who they are. We're going to have a meeting greet for the community, did an article in the paper, put something out on social media, person transitioned in beautifully, right? So they That's understood nice. the process of succession. Right. And they worked together with the community to make it successful as opposed to so-and-so is retiring and then one year later, this is the successor, you know? Without it, any yeah, exactly. lead up to it. Yeah. And so some organizations really have a well-oiled machine when it comes to that and, and because they've had experience with it, right? Some folks don't, and that's when they should be thinking through it ahead of time. You don't want to be reactive in these situations. You want to be planning and knowing what you're going to say and do and who's going to be responsible. Yeah, I love that. And again, I'm stating the obvious, but we got to write it down. And again, that's what you're advocating. These organizations have to be specific. And I like the way you're leading the conversation with an organization. I, it, it seems to me you're anticipating every individual and every constituency. All right, what happens to them? Who would they speak to? Who do they report to? What changes, if anything? And and I guess, Mandy, would you suggest, it's almost like you need a a list in sequence of how communication would occur. And in this case, I mean like a sudden transition. Right. Um, by the, you know, first thing we call is the board chair first, second, we call this, or do, do you get into that level of kind of tactical yes, we, sequencing? We can absolutely. Because what, see, again, what needs to happen here is succession plans need to be reviewed every year right. because things change within an organization. When you have your first succession plan, you might be hundred percent board led. Well, as you hire staff, those people that get reported to and the people reporting change because now you have other people to delegate those responsibilities to. Exactly. And the other piece that is very important is updating job descriptions annually because those are part of your succession plan. If you don't Interesting. know the position you need to replace and positions change, right? As you know, because you're in the world of fundraising too, if you start very small and you have a an executive director doing all the work, which is normal, you know, the the fundraising, the board work, the community work, partnerships, everything. And then you hire a development staff. Well, now you might grow your diversified revenue streams. Maybe you never had annual giving before. Maybe right. you never had monthly right. giving before. Maybe you never really wrote grants or did planned giving, whatever the things are. As you add those pieces to your fundraising puzzle, 
they also need to be added to the job description of the development person because when you go to find the replacement, they need to know what will I actually be responsible for. So we'll Same with an executive director. Right. And people don't do that. I mean, I can't tell you the number of organizations we've worked with the higher development or executive staff. And I'm like, can I see the current job description? It is something so random <laughs> that those people don't do that stuff anymore. Some stuff's listed on there that they have never done. I'm like, why do you need somebody for planned giving? You don't have a plan giving program. Exactly. So no has it at their organization because they have a plan giving program. You well, know, if you're planning to have a plan giving program in two or three years in your strategic plan and that's outlined, you can send somebody to training to learn that process. But I don't think you need to pay for someone with that skill set immediately. 100%. And again, so, this yeah. is a, a great takeaway in terms of the annual review of the job description. I want to underline that, Mandy, because you're right. It's either the job description is aspirational, but not really reflecting what they do, or they've been carrying the same job description for five years. And as you said, five years ago, it was a very different job, right? right. And so they're going to be scrambling if that person leaves because nobody knows exactly what they're doing. And I guess that's what you're trying to keep them ahead of the game. I am. And the other thing is there are a lot of nonprofit organizations. There's a lot of businesses, period, who have people doing two and three people's jobs with no modified job description. And then when they go to try to replace that person, they don't understand why they can't get anybody with all of those skill sets. Just, you know, in the world of development, people that are experts at development and marketing are kind of unicorns. Right. But a lot of people that don't know anything about development are like, oh, we need to develop a marketing specialist. I'm like, mm, that's that's a lot. You need two positions. Right, <laughs> right. And so having the ability to do leadership development and education annually around who do we have? What like sit down and talk to me about what really happens if this person isn't here tomorrow. If one of my virtual assistants left me tomorrow, I would so be up a creek without a paddle. Right. Because they have been with me for like seven years. They do the most random, obscure things that I can't even think of all the things they do. Right. And so, like, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I probably need to do some succession planning around that. <laughs> and what happens if my web developer isn't here tomorrow? My right. entire business would crumble. <laughs> right. Because but... she's just involved in so many things and there is no job description for that, you know? So you're applying the same principles, right? Yes. Uh, and, and looking in the mirror. Uh, and yeah. and I, I have felt that exact same thing. We need to practice what we preach sometimes. Uh, yes. But Good for you to acknowledge that and encourage. And of course, I want to ask you about another constituency. I've had some significant funders on this podcast who talk about and acknowledge the the sad reality of turnover in the nonprofit leadership space. But one thing that irritates them, I would say, Mandy, is when the organization doesn't tell them about the transition. So I guess your succession plan does yes. it include like, all right, who, who are our top ten donors, or how do we manage? We call that? them. I've been a um, development director my whole career. I've been right. in funding. Right. So I appreciate it when you do have a funder who is a stakeholder. Yes. Because very often yes. you have a funder who is a check writer and they're not uh, invested. And so when you have the opportunity to have foundations who want to be involved, who want to know your impact, who want to become engaged, who want to see the return on their investment they should definitely be involved in communications. Nice. They should be regularly invited to the table, as we say, and they should definitely be considered. So if a community partner 
has that kind of investment and they're providing space to your organization for something, maybe a, an after school program or whatever, they should be involved in the conversation. You should know who are the who are the stakeholders that this staff person was responsible for cultivating. Interesting. Those people should be some of the first people communicated about about a transition, right? So if it, I'm yeah. if I'm the chief development officer, I should keep a running list or the organization should have a list. So if Patton departs tomorrow, we know that he was responsible for, I don't know, 10 key relationships. Is that what you mean? That literally um, we need to keep keep up with? So I think that that's a deeper conversation and really kind of goes towards database conversation. Okay. Um, if a database is kept well and notes are put in there as they should be, right. then there's lots of relationship notes in there, not just from the development director. The development director might be putting the notes in there, but they should be saying, you know, the CEO met with so-and-so, da-da-da, this is the result of the meeting kind of thing. Um, and and so, again, depending on how large the organization is, it's a lot of information to keep up with. But as you alluded, you can run a report and say, who are our top 10 donors? Who are our top 10 individual donors, family donors, um, foundation donors, business donors, whatever? And then looking through a list and saying, who else might we need to talk to? Good. Sitting down and having Good. conversations with your board members or key staff and saying, who do you feel like we need to talk to? Those are going to be some initial key steps if there is a hostile transition. If it's a friendly transition, those are still going to happen, but they won't be crisis conversations. Yes. Yeah, but I just love the way you my wheels are turning because you're putting a strategic lens on this that, again, breaks through the vague notion of succession planning to you know, activation and relationship management. And too often we get caught surprised by these issues, right? And you're helping us stay ahead of it. Yes. All right. Let me ask you this. Uh, again, your specialty, of course, is strategic planning among the many things you offer to your nonprofit partners. There are some listening, and you and I both have run into them, that when they hear the word, let's do a strategic plan, they groan, they roll their eyes, like they've been through bad ones. Right. So, mm -hmm. Mandy, tell us what a good strategic planning process looks like. How long does it take? What are some of the elements that you bring to what you would describe as a good strategic planning process? So, what I will say is, Marie and I have been doing strategic planning for a while, and We've run into those same models where it takes year or more. We have run into organizations who have been in the strategic planning process for years. Exactly. And it absolutely does not take that kind of time. If you have the ability to commit, I'm just going to give you very round numbers. If you have the ability to commit seven to eight hours of prep work, which means a virtual SWATA analysis, a mission envisioning session, a couple of planning calls, with you, your key staff, and your board. And when I say those lists, I mean a good representation of each of them. So, you know, 80% of the people that need to be in the room. If you can commit to that, and then a two, eight-hour day retreat, two days back-to-back, eight-hour retreat, you can have a strategic plan written in three months. Wow. And that is our process. Most of our clients that um, come to us for strategic planning, we are working with them and completing their strategic plan within three to six months at the most. And six months is usually because they've started, they've booked with us, and they didn't actually start working with us for another month or two. And then we couldn't schedule their session for a couple of months. But usually three to four months is very common. And um, 
not only do we work with folks to craft the strategic plan, we write the strategic plan. It has the breakdown from three years to two years to one year. We take the one-year plan and break it down into quarters. And then we do a 90-day implementation plan in addition to that. So people know exactly what they need to do, who needs to do it with a 90-day timeline. And then we show people how, or we will engage with them to participate in their um, quarterly reviews. So they review their first quarter. What did we accomplish? What do we still need to do? What do we need to do in the next quarter? And then we write that next 90-day implementation plan, accounting for anything that hasn't been done in the first quarter, or maybe they maybe have worked ahead a little bit if they if they had the opportunity. And then that is how that plan stays current and relevant. You don't stay off track if you're reviewing your work and right. you have a plan for exactly what you need to do and when and who's responsible. Most strategic planning that we see does not involve implementation planning. Um, additionally, at the end of our two-day retreat, we have a written, everything done strategic plan to our clients within five business days, and very often it's same day, because while we're facilitating, we also have someone there that's documenting everything in our template, so it's happening live while the plan is being created by the client. Nice. Doesn't have to be a painful 18-month experience, I guess, is your point. And and you have a wonderful bias for action. You know, this is not just going to go on the shelf, right? It's going to be activated with implementation plans and so forth. I'm I'm guessing in these sessions, you're involving board and staff. Are are there other stakeholders that you advise being brought in? It really depends on the organization. So we have an entire conversation about stakeholder feedback and also stakeholder participation and who should be in the room. We have had organizations that have included stakeholders that are outside of board and staff, which is perfectly fine. Um, Every organization is different. And that's part of our process is is sitting down and having those individual conversations with our clients to determine it's not a this is what everyone has to do 100 percent. Right. It's very customized. And the other thing is, because I've heard so many people say this, we don't create the plan for you. We don't put the words in it. You create the plan for you. We help facilitate the conversation to get you there. So we are not writing things and telling you what to do. We are guiding you through the conversation of what do you think you should do and how can you get there? And everyone in the room has to have consensus around that before it goes in the plan. And the other great thing about this is a lot of people think consensus means everyone agrees 100%. That is not what consensus is. Consensus means a majority of people can live with it. (laughs) Yeah, good distinction. Right. Yeah, because it's really hard to get 20 people in a room and be like, everybody agrees 100% on this step, this action, this wording or whatever. But most of the time, it is really, really doable to get everybody having a consensus-based vote around what does the mission statement need to be? What does the vision statement need to be? What is our big, hairy, audacious goal for, you know, this department, this project, whatever. And so we ha- we use a, a method called the top facilitation method. I don't know if you've heard of them um, before, but it's the technology of participation. Gotcha. And so okay. You're both certified in that. And that is, that's how we do consensus-based conversations. We do it with conflict resolution. We do it with, you know, leadership development trainings. We do it with strategic planning and it is an evidence-based model, which is why we love it so much. And we haven't yet found a group that it doesn't work with. I'm not going to say there isn't one out there. (laughs) Right. right? So far, so good, right? Yes. So far, so good. So, um, 
Yeah. And very often succession planning comes up as a piece of the strategic planning conversation and it's people will write it into their plan to say, we need to have a succession plan in place by this date for this position or for the top three positions or whatever. So that is kind of a nice segue for that conversation between us and our clients. Excellent. Mandy, just as I knew you would, lots of wonderful takeaways for our listeners, uh, tactical uh, as well as strategic, frankly, and both uh, intertwining the larger strategic planning issues that you bring to organizations and get them thinking, as well as the specific succession planning issue. I guess in terms of final advice that you might offer, I mean, what's something somebody, a listener right now, I'm a nonprofit leader, I don't have a succession plan. Should I just have that first conversation? I like how, again, your quadrants of considering what if a hostile or friendly transition occurred or what might be your advice for someone listening right now? Sure. Um, So there's two things I would say. One, on our website, we did an article on succession planning and kind of outlined what needs to happen in there. That's free. And you can just go check it out anytime. Fundingforgood.org and just type in succession planning. Any resource we have will come up. There's also, we did a succession planning strategies that work webinar last December, and it is available on our website as a replay. It's $47. We have it for a year and it comes with three separate handouts. One is a succession planning, getting started guide. And it's basically an entire booklet of worksheets with all the questions you need to ask and answer. And then it's got two other tools in there for organizations. So they can actually just watch the one hour dive in and get started. And you have the replay for a year. So then you can basically have your board watch it, have staff watch it, have a committee watch it, whatever. Those would be the two quickest, easiest ways that I could say to get started where you actually have a guide for the whole process. Excellent. Mandy, thank you both for the information, the education, and the implementation ideas. And we're going to happily link all this up in our show notes for this episode. And of course, you know that um, I'm going to request a parting gift of you, a book recommendation, as I do with every guest. So tell me something you've read that uh, maybe you'd recommend to our listeners. Absolutely. I don't usually recommend books, but I actually recommended this in my <laughs> newsletter like last month at some point. I read a book called Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara. And if anybody is a foodie out there, you may have heard of 11 Madison Park in New York. Okay. And he was instrumental in bringing that to the top 10 restaurants in the world list. And he was a co-owner at one point in that restaurant. And I originally read it because I'm a huge foodie. I love to cook. <laughs> I cook gourmet dinners here at my house all the time. And um, and, and that's why I picked the book. I, I don't typically read books specifically for business because I don't right. know Right. And it had so many amazing concepts in it about how they grew that business that did not have anything to do with business per se. It right. was really relationship building. And for me, translated directly to donor relations, client relations, customer relations, employee relations. And I loved it. I loved it, loved it. Now, I didn't read it. I listened to it on Audible. And Will is actually the one that read it, which he's a very good reader. And it was his own voice. I liked that. So that's what I would recommend if you're looking for a book. Um, You don't have to be a foodie to enjoy it, but I really loved it. I love your energy around it. Your enthusiasm is contagious. I'm going to have to add it to my reading list 
And thank you for sharing that with our listeners. And thank you for all of the wisdom you have shared with our audience today, Mandy. And one more time, where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing? Fundingforgood.org. Easy. You're active on LinkedIn too. I know that among other places. No, so, just LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. Then let's the focus on that. that I do, yes. <laughs> You're like me. That's where I'm doing all of my uh, activity as well. So thank you, Mandy. Keep up the good work. And I appreciate you joining me on the path. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you found that conversation with Mandy both insightful and enlightening as I did. Succession planning is a crucial component of nonprofit leadership, and Mandy's expertise certainly sheds light on the benefits and how to overcome the challenges you might encounter on this journey. Don't forget to visit our website, patmcdowell.com. Head to the podcast page for the show notes for this episode, number 222, and you'll find more information about Mandy and a library of additional resources she has through Funding for Good. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with one other person on the path. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Just go to PattonMcDowell.com, navigate to the podcast page, click on the follow button. By subscribing, you won't miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And while you're there, make sure you check out the episodes button also on that page at the very top. You can explore thumbnails of our most popular episodes or search by topic or guest name. Thanks again for all you're doing for the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path. <music>